Welcome back to the Nutrition Insiders Podcast. I'm Carissa McKay, Health Promotion Specialist in Edmonton. And in this third episode of our myth-busting series, we're going to be looking at the old macros. Could weight loss or maintenance really be just about simply following your macros? We're going to see if once again, there was a whole story made up around a basic truth that has people believing that there's some magic math happening. With me again today is my talented co-health promotion specialist, Heather Garo miller Welcome back, Heather. Are you ready to feast on some macros? Yes, you bet I am. You know, it's so crazy to me how even something as well scientific as science can be taken completely out of context to deceive people into jumping on a bandwagon of yet another diet craze. And listen, you know, I get the bandwagoning. We all want those results. And if someone or some diet is telling me, this is it, this is the one, it's so appealing and it's so easy to get drawn into. Absolutely. And I think that maybe a good place to start then is just to back up the bus a little bit and do just a bit of a food science 101 primer. So in case anybody doesn't know, what we mean when we talk about macros are the three categories of nutrients, not including the micronutrients, which are your vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and any other phytochemicals and things that we need for good health, but that don't provide energy. So those three so-called macros are carbohydrate, fat, and protein. And back in the old Canada Food Guide days, and even in our early Top Fuel for Top Performance workshops, we would spend a lot of time talking about how to get the right percentages of each of these in your diet. And to clarify, when we say diet here, we're simply talking about whatever it is that you eat, not a diet, quote unquote, in the typical weight loss sense of the word. So those macros, there's been a lot of debate over the decades about which is good or which is bad, and the odds on favorite has changed and been replaced and changed again. In the late 80s and early 90s, Fat was the devil, and everything on the grocery store shelves was touted as being fat-free and therefore so-called better for you or healthier for you. We, of course, then realized that simply replacing fat with simple carbohydrates or various other forms of starch wasn't actually going to help anybody. And that's what led to the gradual demonization of carbohydrates. This was further reinforced by the reintroduction of the Atkins diet, now kind of renamed keto. And I know that there's a lot of differences in what exactly version of keto a person might be doing. But this major swing to fat being king again, with anything resembling carbohydrates being essentially deemed to be poison, really swung that proverbial pendulum way over to the other side again. But throughout all of this, that magical aura around protein has more or less held, especially in the gym and the workout world. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, it's insane to me how all this nutrition flip-flopping back and forth can ever gain a foothold because it is so, well, you know, for lack of a better word, it's random. There isn't anything inherently factual about any of this hypothesis because anyone with a wee bit of common sense having everything fat-free is going to be good. Because we've already found out the hard way that making pop sugar-free, hello Coke Zero, hello NutraSweet, wasn't going to help with weight loss either. It's sort of that old joke that you always hear of somebody going to a fast food restaurant and they grab a burger and a large fries and then they tag on a Diet Coke to that. And it seems so hilarious to us and yet it is often common practice. 
let me clarify that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with drinking a diet soda. If that's your preference, that's fine. But doing it to manage weight is simply short-sighted. When we're looking at the calories being provided by carbs, fats, protein in a meal, the calories saved by having that diet soda isn't really going to save the day. But I guess it might also explain why the idea of simply counting your macros could prove to be a bit of an alluring option. It is certainly less extreme than a lot of other fad diets that are out there. And I guess that's one benefit. And it seems relatively simple to follow that you can track those macros, which again, can make it a bit of an appeal for people. Exactly. And I think that that's the thing that makes it challenging is what also makes these myths so difficult. I read a quote from Carl Sagan, 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 I'm sorry, sorry, Carl, don't know how to say your name, which essentially said, the longer you have let someone pull the wool over your eyes, or to use his words, bamboozle you, the harder it is to accept that you have been, in fact, bamboozled. And so to protect your sense of self, you simply carry on accepting whatever that is, and you no longer have the ability to see reason or truth. It's kind of terrifying, really, because that fear of fatness has driven people to forego their common sense in the vain hope that there is some magical formula that is going to solve all their weight loss or maintenance problems. And again, it's not that counting macros is inherently bad. It's just it's not magical. And at the end of the day is way more work than people think. And it typically has people under eating because there is an underlying caloric restriction as compared to basic meal planning and using a balanced plate approach. So yeah, maybe you don't need that extra help, or maybe you can cut down the overall size of the meal and still get everything you need in terms of macros and micronutrients. And then maybe you can also have dessert. I mean, I guess it's really a question of what is it that you want to do? Do you have the wherewithal to do that? Or do you need something very contrived to help you to get that control? Right. I I can understand that. I think that there's definitely an appeal to that for a lot of people. But I also think that in the long run, it doesn't often work for us. So let's go back to the idea behind those macros. You mentioned that those are the carbs, the fats, the proteins. What the macro diet principle states is that if you choose the right balance of those macros for you as an individual, it will ensure that you get the exact proportion of nutrients to sustain you without having any extra that may be uh, stored as fat. And that's really just so funny because they have taken that small grain of truth and written a fairy tale around it. Take, for example, the basic principle, which states that it is more effective to count macros than calories because not all calories are created equal. If we use the example of a typical piece of chocolate cake, it is essentially primarily simple carbohydrates and fat, and maybe a wee bit of protein. They would then compare that chocolate cake to the innocent sweet potato and say that that chocolate cake is going to be rapidly digested and stored as fat, while the innocent sweet potato will act as fuel for an active body and will keep you satiated longer. And that's a very misleading statement. Yes, chocolate cake is quickly digested, but maybe that's what you want. If you want fuel right away, you don't want to wait for the fiber from the sweet potato that slows down that digestion and makes it available for your muscles. On the other hand, if you're looking to choose a food 
that will make you feel full longer as a lunch item, for example, then maybe you are using the sweet potato because it's metabolized more slowly and will likely have you going back looking for a snack very shortly after. Or won't actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, no one who is thinking about performance is probably thinking chocolate cake, but there are a lot of performance um, supplements out there or food choices that are purely carbohydrate for that exact purpose of giving you that quick fuel. So it is a uh, simplification of chocolate cake being bad, sweet potato being good, and it actually undermines the actual biochemistry and physiological processes that are happening in your body when you use that food. If the sweet potato provides more energy than you need or have expended in the day, it is just as likely to be stored as fat as the chocolate cake is. And again, only if that sweet potato or that chocolate cake exceed the amount of energy you need at any one given time. Exactly. It's that oversimplification of these foods good, these foods bad that just kill me. Nobody is going to argue that your sweet potato, innocent or otherwise, (laughs) is by and large a healthier choice. But chocolate cake can 100% fit into a well-balanced, well-thought-out and executed meal plan. And in fact, I would argue that it should fit into that very same meal plan because it's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I mean, and that's based more on making reasonable choices every meal, every day, all the time. The idea that all foods can fit, I mean, that's a bit of an oversimplification as well. But I mean, that's the other big misconception. If all you do is count your macros, then you're going to have it made in the shade. It's partly true because the effort of having to think about literally every bite of food you have, weighing out every gram of protein powder, every slice of bread, each portion of meat, that's built-in accountability. You're taking the time and making the effort to painstakingly create this balanced macro Jenga tower. And so you're going to be less likely to sneak in that chocolate cake because all those macro blocks will just end up getting scattered all over the living room floor. The idea of following a program that is, by definition, all about constant measuring is going to make it more likely for a person to be again, quote unquote, successful, because they're being accountable to that system. Measuring and weighing your food gives people a sense of control. And a lot of people really need that. Because it's really simple to just pour cereal into your bowl, add milk and go. And who knows how much that was depends on how big your bowl is depends on how much time you have depends on how much cereal was left in the box. You don't know how much you've eaten. But If you're listening to your body, at some point, you're going to know how much cereal is a good amount. The fear of not having enough is as complicit in people's choices as is the fear of having too much when it comes to weight loss or management. The other piece of the misleading information that they spout is that counting calories only works if you ensure that you are in a calorie deficit for weight loss. But that, of course, is also true of any other system. You cannot lose weight if you aren't in a calorie deficit, whether or not you're counting calories or macros or eliminating food groups or whatever. Absolutely. And therein lies the rub. The other major premise is that you have to the macros to your goals weight loss, muscle gain, and overall maintenance. Well, really the only thing I can say to that is, isn't this just common sense? But then again, common sense is really only common when it is basic knowledge for you. And if it's not, then it can often go askew. And definitely nutrition is one of those things that common sense seems to go out the window for a lot of us. 
Mm-hmm. Again, this is true of any diet program, whatever you want to call it, that you're following. But here again is where there is a sly and subtle shift away from merely counting macros to glorifying one macronutrient over the others. There are various schools of thought when within that whole macro world, as you had kind of said at the beginning, that believe that only fat and protein are biologically essential and that carbohydrates are somehow not necessary, which of course we know to be pure fiction. That particular school of thought holds that carbohydrates and alcohol are somehow processed very similarly, which is actually inaccurate because alcohol more closely resembles fat metabolism in the real world. Again, this notion that there are better or worse macros when truly all three are equally important and play important roles, although we need less or more of certain ones in our diet, that whole image is so misleading. We know that we need less overall of the macros if weight loss is desired because we need to be in that caloric deficit. But as we talked about in episode two, it has to be a small and long-term deficit that is adjusted as the weight is lost because rapid weight loss results in metabolic changes that impact future weight loss and sustainability of weight loss. If what is desired is, is actually muscle gain, then there are several factors that are actually really important here. You need adequate overall energy because muscle is more metabolically active and as a result of that requires more energy to sustain itself. And you need enough carbohydrate to fuel the workout that you want to do. And you need enough protein for repair and growth of that desired muscle. And this all has to happen in concert with a workout that places enough challenge on the muscles that it's actually going to stimulate growth. Yes, that's the thing that's never mentioned. It's that protein, while necessary for muscle growth, is a self-limiting nutrient. Insofar as after you've hit a certain intake at any given meal, any extra protein is either broken down as energy or, again, potentially stored as fat. And again, that's related to and dependent upon the overall caloric requirement. And interestingly, we've historically said that it's about 30 grams per meal or snack for amount of proteins. But a recent symposium that I was just on said that that number is actually closer to 20. So, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30, we're probably going to be okay. But anything over and above that, you're literally throwing away your money. We need to be really cautious about that. And we need to then take that 20 to 30 grams, space it over your two to three hour intervals, because otherwise you're still going to be hitting that saturation level of protein utilization, and it's not going to be usable by your muscles. The biggest myth out there that just blows my mind and makes me angry is that protein is like the unicorn of macronutrients. And it isn't. It's not more special or magical than any of the other macronutrients. It's just different. It's like making sure that you have a hammer, a couple of different screwdrivers, and a saw in your basic toolkit. Each of them has a role or a job, and while you can try substituting one for the other, it's not always going to net you the best results. (laughs) And that is what is the most frustrating thing to me about if it fits your macros concept. That even though it seems at first glance to be a more reasonable approach to eating and achieving your goals, let's be honest everyone's goal is to always 
lose fat or have weight loss, gain muscle. It's propagating a myth that what we eat and what we do needs to uh, be for how it's going to make us look instead of to actually making us healthier because we still equate what we see in the mirror with health. To some degree, that's true. It's not always the case. Definitely. And again, I'm feeling like a bit of a broken record here. Why is it that this messaging is still so pervasive? Why must everything boil down to what do I need to do? Eat, not eat, to look a certain way. What is this magical certain way? Why is that so ingrained in our collective psyche that we're all aspiring to this unattainable goal? How has our ability to see the beauty in a variety of bodies been so warped by trying to achieve that literally less than two to 5% of the population body type. And all we end up doing is making people believe that they failed because of some fable written mostly by people who have no business telling anyone what to eat or not to eat in the, <laughs> in the first place. It's just mind boggling. <laughs> and we know that there's ample research to show us that weight loss is best addressed via prevention or failing that a slow and gradual approach, focusing on just eating better, and doing more in terms of activity of any kind that you like that you will do in the long term. It always seems, and I know this to be true, because what people want at the end of the day is what's fast, sometimes fun, but definitely easy. And yet that's so ironic with this, if it fits your macros, because it's not easy. They think that it's easy, and then you spend your whole day doing these calculations. And But I get it. It's like you said, you know, if we approached our retirement savings in the same way, everyone would be flat broke because we would all just gambled on the long shot and lost everything. That's <laughs> so true. That's when you realize how much, like other programs, if it fits your macros, really is. The likelihood that someone will be able to maintain that is very small. And the fact is, if you were able to stick with it for a couple months, it wasn't the macros that led to the weight loss. It was the fact that you were starving. Severe caloric restriction will absolutely result in weight loss. Mm -hmm. As we discussed before, it will always come at a cost to us. Generally, it's a future boycott by your body to respond to the next diet you throw at it because it has downshifted to be more efficient because you made it learn how to make do with less. There is a reason that on average, we gain around 10 pounds per decade. Each and every diet attempt has permanent and debilitating effects on our metabolism. For sure. And I think that that's the thing that people either don't know or discount because what they're looking for is that immediate reward by seeing the number on the scale go down or notching up their belt one notch tighter. And again, that's driven by this collective societal pressure that we put on ourselves. And I guess that one of the things that a person might choose to do to kick off a new chapter on their journey to wellness and, and to be their best self, because it might be what they need, could be something like that, because it will maybe kickstart that success. But at some point, it's going to lose its luster. You know, why do you think Weight Watchers keeps changing its program? Because at some point, people are tired of counting points or punching things into an app when really what they want is to just be able to live. You know, like, do you want to count your protein powder and your crackers? Or do you want to go play in the park with your grandchildren or children? Do you want to measure out your chicken breast and your broccoli? Or do you want to just go hang out and have a barbecue when we can finally have barbecues again? You know, what are the choices that you want to make in your life? Do you want to learn how to live, which involves eating? 
Or do you want to spend your time measuring because that's what's going to determine how you live your life? I just, I think that that's, I think that's a really sad option. What I wanted to do just for fun is to see, okay, I'm going to punch in my numbers. I went to a couple of websites and see if I could find out what these magical ideal ratios were. Because I want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're, t- we're giving people the straight goods here. Like if we're busting a myth, we need to be busting the myth. So I am a person who does an hour or so of exercise a day. Their guide was that I needed 30% protein, 30% fat, and 40% carbohydrates, which is actually fairly reasonable. I think that if, if most people did their balanced plate and we did the math, you know, we would probably get there. What's interesting is that they at least accounted for a little bit more of the carbohydrates if I switch that to exercising two hours a day. So there was a recognition that we need to have carbohydrates for fuel, but I did the little calculator to find out what I would need based on my age and sex and the number of workouts per day and week. And I got the craziest numbers. So for maintenance, 1,716 calories a day. So I would say that that's at least two to 300 calories less than what I currently eat. So this is where it really gets insane. If I wanted to lose weight, I would be allowed 1,373 calories, 1,373. That's barely going to sustain my bodily systems. But But it doesn't stop there because if I wanted to go for extreme weight loss, I would get a whopping 1,029 calories. For the record, most adults should not eat less than 1,500 to 1,800 calories a day at a minimum. And I was already being told that I needed to be below that, right? Okay, not fully below 1,500, but 1,700 because that's just the baseline for, you know, things like living, breathing, sitting in your desk in a conscious state. So if I cut my calories to 1,373 or 1,029, I would be an angry lunatic in about two days. To say that I would be starving would be an understatement. Okay, so then, then after I've already sort of sorted that out in my brain that I'm going to be starving, I needed to, I need in each of my three meals a day, because I'm not putting any snacks in, 64.3 grams of carbohydrates, 15.7 grams of fat, and 42.7 grams of protein. So here's the test. If you were paying attention to what we said a moment ago, what was the amount of protein that at any given meal we should not exceed? Yes, 30, or maybe even 20. So there's 12.7 grams of protein that I'm not going to be able to use for muscle building because my body taps out at 30. Based on these numbers, it's probably fine because I'll need those spare calories anyway because I'm going to be ready to eat my freaking arm. It was insane. I got angry just doing the math. Where is our intuition going? You know, like we're following this great diet, but we are not listening to any of our body signals, not telling us when to eat or when to stop or what our body might be craving in the moment. We're just following the plan. Yes. And I mean, I guess the question in my mind is always to what end? I'm not sure that we could say any more clearly what we're encouraging people to do is not hard. In fact, it probably requires less overall effort than creating the macro Jenga tower every day. Because what we really want to emphasize to people is how important it is to critically look at what the people who are giving you this information are truly saying and reading between the lines. If there's anybody telling you that you should be eating less than 1500 calories a day, walk away. And that doesn't even consider the complexity of how to make each of the meals in that, if it fits your macros, fit that 
carbohydrate, protein, and fat ratio. I mean, I worked as a dietitian for 20 years and that would consume most of my day figuring that out on a day-to-day basis, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to have, let's just go with chicken, rice, and broccoli because it's easy, but I don't have to weigh it. I don't have to measure it. I just need to make sure that there's chicken on a quarter of the plate, broccoli on half of the plate, and brown rice on the other quarter of the plate. Done, right? I mean, that's it. So I just feel like I have way more other things that I would rather spend my time doing than measuring and weighing and calculating. It just, sorry, I'm going to take a hard pass on that. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's crazy to think that it is just as simple as typing stuff into an app after some random web-based calculator performs some Wizard of Oz thing behind the scenes and when the smoke clears and the mirrors are put away, honestly, it's just another hypocaloric meal plan. That's it. Exactly. I think that it's so funny is that the closing paragraph on that, the little website where all these calculators were, I said, if this all seems too complicated and time consuming, what you could do is focus on choosing lean protein in about a quarter of your plate, a quarter of your plate with something like potatoes or sweet potatoes, and the rest of your plate as vegetables. Sound familiar? (laughs) Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the balance plate of the new Canada food guide. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Heather, you're right. You win. You win the prize. So I think that the message is use your brain. Be smart. Do the things that you, you know. If it sounds too good to be true... Or if it sounds too complicated, then it probably is. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with you here, Carissa. You know, I think you have to remember what you had just said. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. And honestly, it's not as complicated as everybody wants to make it out to be. I understand that it's also not easy, but it really comes down to eat wholesome foods, enjoy treats, eat those foods in proportions where you are not overeating, undereating, and move lots and enjoy chocolate cake once in a while. That's yes. It. I think that if we can remind people of that, and I think that the other thing is, is you have to stick with it. If I was to eat a thousand calories for a couple of weeks, would I stand on the scale and be lighter? Probably, but it's not sustainable. So if I'd have just made a different choice that I could live with literally for the rest of my life, I'm going to be ahead of the game. I'm going to be a winner in the long-term process of slow and steady, gradual loss, potentially, and or maintenance. And I mean, and I think that that's where we really need to find the reinforcing points to say it's not going to be overnight, but you need to stay the course. I think we've said it in previous episodes as well, is this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. In fact, it might be an ultra marathon. And we just need to carry on one day at a time, one meal at a time, one snack at a time, one workout at a time, one energy expending activity that we love doing at a time and just keep on going, right? So, I mean, I think that if we can remember that, then maybe we'll have it made in the shade. But I don't think if it fits your macros is going to be the answer for that. So thanks everybody for listening. And remember that you can find all our previous episodes on our Calf Connection page. And this season is available on Apple Podcasts, hopefully fingers crossed and Spotify 100% for sure. Looking forward to our next session where we're tackling the dreaded BMI. Yes, it is still around. And yes, it is a myth that is in desperate need of busting. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the flip flop.